Today we're in the second week of a series called Yet I Will Rejoice, uh, Finding Strength in a Crisis. It's a series on the book of Habakkuk, and we're looking at the book of Habakkuk uh, last week, this week, and then for at least three weeks after Easter. We're looking at the book of Habakkuk because the book of Habakkuk is written for times like these, times like what we're experiencing with the coronavirus uh, uh, crisis. I want to thank you for joining us at Five Oaks at Home. Thank you for joining me in my home. Uh, also, thank you for your prayers for Lois's mom. She was able to return home uh, this week. We're really happy for that. Or back to Woodbury Senior Living, and she doesn't seem to be too confused about what things are going, the things that are going on. She seems to be understanding a lot of it. So, before we pray and before we open the book and look at the book of Habakkuk again, I want to do a little bit of a review. And the way we're going to do the review is I have asked Five Oaker Samuel Ellingson if he would. Uh, create a little review for us. And he did it with the help of his sister Abigail and his dad, Dan. So let's watch the video. Habakkuk was a prophet of God. His book is a recording of a conversation he had with God. It starts with Habakkuk praying while angry at God. He can't understand why God will do nothing about the injustice in Israel. God answers Habakkuk's prayer. I am going to do something. But when I tell you, you're not going to believe it. He then tells Habakkuk that he will use the mighty and evil Babylonians to judge Israel. Habakkuk prays again, but now he's so angry that he taunts God. He tells God that God's plan makes no sense. But Habakkuk tells the Lord that he will remain faithful and wait for the Lord's answer to his angry questions. I will go to the watchtower on the wall of Jerusalem. I will wait, remaining on my post as your prophet. And I will look out over the horizon for your answer to come. No one knows how long he waited, but God's answer eventually came. Isn't that great? Uh, I, uh, when I saw it, I just wrote back to Dan and I said, man, that is fantastic. I love so much about it. I love the way the Habakkuk uh, kneels in prayer. The the tower is fantastic. It was it was perfect in every way except for one. It just seemed that God had this really strange accent, to which he responded by saying, "Yeah, when I was growing up, I always thought of God as having a Fargo accent." And I wrote back and I said, "That's crazy because everyone knows, even little kids know, that when God speaks English, He speaks with a Cuban accent." Now, all that aside, a little bit more review. Four lessons that we uh, took from what, chapter one of Habakkuk. Uh, four lessons that we can we can bring into this crisis with with us as we learn how to pray angry. So Habakkuk prays two angry prayers, and God invites us to pray angry prayers. He really actually wants us to bring our anger to Him. That's part of what. It means to be in a relationship with him. Secondly, there are things of God that we will never understand, but we can understand this. We can understand God's track record of faithfulness, and we see his faithfulness, especially in the cross. So the big idea from last week was that we need to learn to fight faithfully with God because God faithfully fights for us. We're going to pray now, and 
normally I would pray the prayer of illumination where we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. He has to illuminate his word for us as part of what the Holy Spirit does, the third person of the Trinity. And uh, rather than me doing the prayer, uh, we're going to pray it together. If you would, right there from your home, just pray along with me. This prayer is based on Psalm 25. Heavenly Father, you are good and you are faithful. We trust in you and we ask that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit as we look to your word. Show us your ways, lead us in your paths, and teach us your truth. You alone are God and our hope is in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow along as I, as I read from Habakkuk, beginning in chapter one of chap, uh, chap, verse one of chapter two, uh, where we get the end of Habakkuk's second prayer, the one that's really angry, where he really, really almost insults God, and then we're going to get the beginning of God, of God's response to him. So, beginning in verse one, I will stand on my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer. I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks to the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Habakkuk offers us here a rich and multidimensional word picture. It's a metaphor of going up into this, uh, this tower and, and, and waiting on God. Habakkuk, Habakkuk says he's going to wait on God like a sentry, a sentry that is manning his post on a wall tower. If you're taking notes, the blank there is, is sentry. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to understand about waiting. The first one may be something that's a bit of a surprise uh, to you, or it's not what we usually associate with waiting. Uh, but the second one is something that I think you're fully well aware of, but let's just, let's just talk about it a little bit. First of all, waiting is active. In Habakkuk's case, he has to go to his post. He has to do his duty whether or not he feels like it. He has to listen and look for God. For us, we have work to do as we wait. Sometimes waiting is about staying still and solitude, but even that is active. Waiting is about listening to God and exploring his word. It's, it's active in prayer. But most of the time, we have to keep doing everything we normally do. We have to keep living our lives for God. And we have to keep doing the things we normally do and living for God in a way that brings glory to God. Secondly, this is the one that, that is like everybody understands. We get this. And that is that waiting is hard. Waiting can be filled with uncertainty and worry and frustration. A lot of us turn away from God in the waiting. We might turn away from God altogether, uh, just stop living for him, stop identifying as, uh, as being his and part of his people. Uh, or sometimes I think we turn away, maybe this happens more, more in our lives, we turn away from God uh, by just ignoring him, by just not engaging with him, by not really trusting him in our daily lives and just going through our daily lives 
I had a question that our small groups discussed last week. It was in the discussion guide that basically said, what is maybe, you know, what are you learning from God maybe if you don't pray angry, angry prayers? And I said that question is, is mostly for me because I don't think I pray angry prayers, certainly not often enough and not for a long time. And I think one of the things that hit me as we were discussing in our small groups, so it really hit me because of something someone else said in my small group, was that uh, I think I don't necessarily pray angry prayers, but I ignore God. And in my anger sometimes, in my frustration, in my worry, rather than turning to God and expressing that, even some frustration with him, I instead just ignore him. It's almost like, like the silent treatment. You know, waiting is really hard. And that's why it's good to remember in the midst of the waiting, it's good to remember uh, what are the benefits of waiting, that, that in waiting there are good things that result from it. We're looking at five benefits of waiting on God in a crisis. These benefits come to those who wait for God in a way that Habakkuk ways. And the first benefit is that waiting produces grit. When Habakkuk mans his post as a prophet, when he or we do the hard work of waiting, it produces grit, produces toughness. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. That word perseverance uh, in part does mean grit. A lot has been said lately and written lately about grit. And really in many ways it doesn't require definition. You know grit when you see it. You know it when you have it. Uh, and all of us know we need it. We need it for so many situations in our life and all of us want it, but not all of us are excited. In fact, most of us are not excited about exposing ourselves to the kinds of experiences that develop grit. If you wait on God in a crisis, this kind of active waiting that Habakkuk uh, does, this kind of faithful waiting that Habakkuk does, if you wait on God on a crisis, you're going to come away stronger. You're going to come away grittier. You're going to, it's going to develop your character. Your character is going to be more developed and you're going to be the kind of person that can endure and can persevere in a greater way than you ever were able to before. That's one of the benefits uh, of waiting on God in a crisis. There's a second benefit. Waiting develops hope. While Habakkuk waits, he's building his hope muscles. Again, here's the Apostle Paul uh, in that same passage from Romans chapter 5. He says, perseverance produces character and character hope. Character produces hope. The kind of hope that the Apostle Paul is talking about, a biblical hope, is different from the kind of hope that you and I talk about when we use hope in everyday language. I may hope, I may say, man, I hope it's sunny tomorrow. But the reality is that that hope will have absolutely no effect whatsoever on what the weather is going to be. Uh, but Christian hope the kind of hope that Paul is talking about is about something that is actually coming, a hope in something that we can actually we can actually know is coming because God has decreed that that is what's going to happen. You and I in different in situations like what we're in right now, 
we can really use a hope like that. That's one of the benefits of waiting. It develops that hope muscle. And in developing that hope muscle, we are able to look confidently into the future because we know God's promises and we know God is true. There's a third benefit we need to look at. Waiting offers an eternal perspective. Now, in Romans, Paul calls us to think about our suffering. It's in the thinking and meditating on truth while waiting during a crisis that we gain an eternal perspective. So Romans 8, verse 18 says, For I consider, I think about this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So thinking uh, about glory that is going to be revealed to us is going to require a little bit of quiet, uh, alone time, solitude, probably getting away from everything, and spending time praying, spending time exploring God's Word. But get that picture, this metaphor, that Habakkuk gives us of going up into the tower and holding his post. And the quiet that he's going to have, he's doing his work there. I mean, the metaphor is of a sentry that's doing their work. They're looking for possibly enemies coming or messengers coming. He's doing his work, but he's also getting away. He's also having some time for quiet and reflection and solitude. And that's required so that we can reflect and we can think about what's eternal. And as we think about what's eternal, we compare it to the sufferings that we have now. We recognize that the sufferings we have now are nothing in comparison. That's one of the benefits is we start getting an eternal perspective on our present problems. All right, let's look at another one of the benefits. The fourth benefit is that waiting tests and reveals the genuineness of our love for God. Waiting tests and reveals what is there already. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you inherit millions of dollars. Uh, if that is just seemed too far-fetched uh, for you, just think it's some, some relative you've never heard of. And for some crazy reason, uh, you're the next in line or they left their millions upon millions to you. And so you decide with your money, one of the things you want to do, once this coronavirus is over thing, this thing is over, is you decide you want to put on a lavish feast every Sunday night for your friends. You invite all your friends over and maybe some new friends that you make along the way and you all gather together and you have this, uh, this incredible feast. And, and since you can and you really want to make it special, you also bring in live music. And sometimes the people who are doing the live music are local you know, celebrities or maybe even national celebrities because you have millions upon millions of dollars. And so imagine with me, if you can, if you can think of that scenario, imagine then losing it all and uh, your so-called friends dropping you. I mean, not coming over. You can't put on the lavish, but you invite them for dinner and they keep saying, no, no, I don't think I have time. And now all of a sudden they don't have for you, any time for you. So what do you learn when something like that happens? What do you learn when you lose all your money? What do you learn in that suffering? You learn who your friends really are, don't you? 
How does it feel, do you think, to be in that kind of situation and discovering that a bunch of people who said that they were your friends, that they cared about you for who you are, not for what you could do for them, how do you think you would feel in the midst of that? I, I know how I would feel. I would feel very lonely and betrayed. Uh, I had a situation uh, several years ago along these lines with a friend and and I just remember uh, going on this really long hike. I was on vacation. I'm in the mountains. I'm going on this really long hike. And all I can keep replaying in my mind over and over again is like, if, if he was my friend, why did he? If he, was, if he? I mean, it just kept going over and over again in my, in my head. Now, I want you to think for a moment. How does God feel when we turn away from him because he doesn't give us immediately the thing that we want or he doesn't give us the thing that we think that we need. We just turn away from him. We ignore him or we reject him altogether. How does he feel? Well, the fourth benefit is in waiting, the kind of waiting that Habakkuk does, the kind of waiting that God is calling us to. The fourth benefit is that we we get a sense, we, we, we really learn whether we love God for who he is or we love God because of our comfortable lifestyle, the things that we enjoy, the things of God that he's given us that bring us pleasure and enjoyment, uh, family, friends, all that sort of thing. Uh, we learn whether our, whether our love for him in suffering, we learn whether our love for him is genuine or not. All right, there's one more benefit to waiting that I want us to look at. The fifth benefit to waiting is really the most interesting one. It is maybe the most important one, the one that can have the greatest impact on us, although when you first think about it, uh, it doesn't feel that way. So the fifth benefit is that God waits on those who wait for him. It's knowing this, that God waits for those who wait for him. Now, this is a play on words. Waiting, in some contexts, means serving. So a waiter waits on a table, right? When they're waiting on a table, they are serving the people at that table. It means serving. Jesus told numerous parables about waiting. All of them had to do with the fact that he would be leaving and that he would be returning someday to establish his kingdom fully on earth. And all of them had to do with carrying on in the things that he's called us to do, which are all around loving and serving, serving God, and, and really uh, living his kingdom values, his kingdom rule uh, on earth, so that he would be ruling on this earth as he rules in heaven. We, that's, that's what we're called to do right now in, in our lives. And so... Most of these parables end very similarly. They always end with some kind of reward, but one of them has an incredible twist at the very end. The reward is different, very different from the rewards in all the other ones. And this one is found in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35, Jesus says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, 
I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Of all these parables that Jesus has on waiting, this is the only one that ends this way, that ends with the master actually serving the servants. In some translations, uh, it uses the word, because it's, it's more literal what it's saying, it uses the word, instead of saying he dressed himself to serve, it says he girded himself to serve. And so girding means, you know, the men, men wore robes, and when they needed to walk fast or run or bend over or do work, they didn't want to be getting their feet constantly caught in the robes. So they would tie it up around their legs. They'd kind of pull it up and, and, and bring it into their belt, and that would be girded for service or girded for, for work or whatever it might be. So Tim Keller uh, says this about this scene in Luke, and I have to say I leaned pretty heavily on a sermon that Tim Keller did on this same passage. Uh, but he brings it to a crescendo in these words. Jesus is saying, at the end of time, I'm going to have all of my people sit down at the table. I'm going to gird myself to wait on them. I'm going to focus all my powers on inflicting all the joy, all the honor, all the fulfillment and happiness that I possibly can on you. I'm going to concentrate all the infinities and immensities of my being on making you, on inflicting in you, absolute, incredible, cosmic, infinite joy. That's what I'm going to do if you wait for me. If you wait on me your whole life, I will literally wait on you. I will gird myself and I will serve you. Okay, so this benefit seems like it's way out there in the future, right? It feels like uh, it's not immediate, like like hope and grit and, and some of those benefits that we can experience right now, or at least not right this moment, but as this develops. But it's actually the most practical. It's the most practical because it tells us about the God on whom we wait. It tells us about the God on whom we wait. In this crisis, God is with you. What kind of a God is with you? A God who loves you so much that he is looking forward to taking all of his energies to bring absolute joy into your life, to wait at a table for you, to wait for you, to serve you. In this crisis, God is with you. He's not just with you. He is working on you. He's working. He wants to work on you in such a way. If you'll wait on him in the way that Habakkuk does, in the way that he's calling us to wait, in the way those other scriptures call us to wait on God, he is, he is, he is seeking to make us stronger. He's seeking to make us grittier. People of hope. People who spread hope to other people instead of spreading despair to other people. People who experience peace instead of constantly be feeling filled with worry and anxiety as we wait to see what comes next in this crisis. And God is not just working on you. God is working for you. Yes, in the future, God will wait on you. But God even now is serving you. God even now is waiting on you. God bless you and join me as I pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who 
who calls us to wait, but you're a God who promises to wait on us if we will wait on you. And so, Father, we, we wait. We wait to see what your answers are going to be to our prayers. Whatever those answers are, Father, we, uh, we pray and we hope that you'll give us the strength to, to move forward with, with hope, hope for the future. And, Father, I pray that you'll continue to work in our world and in us and help us to be a people of hope, help us to be a people of peace in the midst of a lot of despair and a lot of worry. Work that in us. Develop our character through whatever suffering we may go through now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.